Welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Simon. I'm Stuart. We talk every week about the reality of running property businesses. Stuart runs a portfolio of co-living properties with a six-figure turnover. And Simon has buy-to-lets and also runs Patna, which is a leading portfolio management software system and a source of property market insights. Today, we're going to be looking at redefining a, a popular property strategy. But before we get into that, a quick request. Please do pass this episode and the Business of Property podcast generally onto a property-loving friend. We'd really appreciate that. Now, getting straight into it, I think everybody in property is probably familiar with the, the idea of flipping property as a, a property strategy. It's where you buy a property, do it up, and sell it again, hopefully for a profit. And this normally takes some months, perhaps half a year, maybe. But Stuart, you, you have taken a slightly different approach to flipping as a property strategy. Uh, and I think you've got one particular property, which you're now in, in year three of. Yeah, yeah. I thought, why do these things in quick turnaround times? We, we are now at just over three and a half years at the recording of this podcast. Why get a property, turn it around really quickly and remove all of the ongoing costs when you can just drag it out for over three years, take on investor interest, bridging finance. And in fact, yeah, so we, we've we had bridging finance for 12 months that, that we've now actually entered the three and a half year period. So um, yeah, in, in a nutshell, not the quickest flip that we've ever worked on. <laughs> no, indeed. But, but you have had some good news on it recently. So we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Before we do, can you fill us in a little bit on the backstory? Because we, I think we've, we've looked back through our, our past episodes. I think we first mentioned this perhaps on, on episode 36, which is quite a long time ago. And, and obviously, three years is a long time to be working on a, on a project, especially one that was supposed to be much shorter. So, so yeah, how about a quick, quick summary and, and backstory to, to how you got here? Yeah, so as Simon said, listen to episode 36, I think, where we introduce it. We also talk about it in episode 39, as well as lots of others. But in 39, I think I uh, I kind of just wiped my eye with a tear there because I'm thinking episode 39, we were thinking we were about to sell it before the issue came up. So we, I say we, so my sort of business partner and I on this particular project bought a flat in Croydon, right near East Croydon Station. It was a two bed flat and we and it, but it had a lot of space and we converted we, we took some of the space out of what was the living dining area which was huge and created a, a third bedroom essentially a, a, it's, it's a two-stroke three bed now and also introduced another bathroom so it's now got two bathrooms three bedrooms so it's uh, you know got much more space and that actually happened quite quickly I think we we'd finished the the, the sort of works and there was a lot of uh, effort that had to go into that as well because it's in a, a managed building and that's where a lot of the pain comes from and we had to get obviously permissions to do the work that we want to do so as leaseholders we had to speak with the uh, managing agents on behalf of the freeholders and spend a lot of money for people to tell us that we could do what we could do and we did it did it quite quickly and then because of the new legislation that came out following the Grenfell disaster, there was a thing called uh, an external wall survey, an EWS-1 form that needed to be complete, which would indicate that buildings, I believe, over 18 metres high, uh, multiple storey buildings were safe. And no one can contest that. 
and this was all to do with cladding of buildings to make sure that the cladding was using materials that wasn't ultra flammable, etc., etc. I don't know specific details on that, but essentially just to make sure that everyone's safe. We literally found this out probably the week after we completed on the purchase. And the EWS one form, because the, the government said that they are required, lenders, banks said that they would not basically lend on any properties unless they had this EWS one form. And this is where the complication then arises because clearly we didn't have one of those. And when I say we, the whole building of which there's around 20 flats and also offices, and it's a glass-fronted building, mirrored glass. It's, it's a really nice building. You had a look at it the other day, didn't you, Simon? Yeah, it look, looks really, really impressive. Very, very nice building. And they've actually recently, they've actually recently done the face. You're not due to, well, as far as we're aware, not due to the you know, external wall survey requirements, but because they're actually upgrading the building. And the biggest challenge we have had is really communicating from the managing agent. And the managing agent is Rendell and Rittner. And for anyone that spends any time on Twitter or anything, you can just go and have a look up at them on Twitter. Uh, it's safe to say they are not the greatest in terms of communication. I, I'm not sure I've come across a managing agent that is, though. Mm. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I've I've lived in places where there have been a, a few different managing agents involved, or, in, or indeed not just lived, but had properties in generally. And I'm yet to find one that I can say, yes, this is a brilliant managing agent with excellent communications. Uh, have you ever found one? No, it's true. It's true. Uh, but I found these particularly, I mean, I would, yeah, I had to send emails every other week to get responses. And and uh, it got so sad that I created a spreadsheet, which you'd be very proud of, which showed me the number of days between my communications and the response. And one of them was 127 days. And it got to a stage where I had to, reach out to the CEO of Rendell and Rittner and following that started to get some frequent communication. However, it, it was kind of empty in that there was never any information. It was really like any response was so ambiguous. There was no plan given. And essentially, this has gone on since the start of 2020. So obviously, we're now in you know, the second quarter of 23. However, What's what happened? So obviously we had a bridging loan on the property, which was originally a twelve-month bridging term. And I do want to give a shout out to Interbay actually, because I would say they're the first bank really that I found to be personable, and that's that's quite a, a, a big thing to say because they are, I believe, they are part of the One Savings Group as well, which One Savings Bank, which is Kent Reliance, and uh, yeah, the less said about that, the better in terms of communications, but. Obviously, one one of the big fears you have as a, a you know property investor developer is you know and the things that you hear in property circles is that when you get bridging finance, you're paying more money. You know, you're paying a much higher percentage for the privilege of getting quick money, and you never want that to have to extend. Well, we extended that bridge, uh, you know, multiple times, but I would say that we were always in conversation with someone at Interbay about it. I, I think that that's sort of really really helped that you can actually talk to people and and find out <laughs> whether you're whether they're going to turn around and suddenly say okay we need our money back next week and or or not as has been the case so over these three years or so has the as the interest rate and and any other fees and things like that related to to this bridge have they changed or have they just sort of rolled over the your, your existing 
arrangements? So essentially every time you extend, so the original term was 12 months, so clearly you're paying the interest. Uh, Once that term ends, you then have to get that term extended. And typically that means additional fees. So I'm I'm sure there's a big bracket of admin fees because that's just standard. And I think for the most recent one, we also had to incur solicitor fees because it was now over a and it's one of these things with the banks, you know, you, you realise over time that there's some things that you can challenge and some things that you just have to move on and accept that if they're going to charge you a solicitor fee, you can say, well, why? Because I'm just signing this form. But anyway, but we did. And I would say if I was going to share one big learning for, to anybody about this is that I made sure that I was fully transparent with the bank and communicating anything I'd had at all times. And it got to a stage where I felt we had a good relationship. Now, actually, a few months ago, before we get to the good news, a few months ago, the guy that I was dealing with at Interbay handed me over to the recovery team. Now, when that That, happens... That doesn't sound positive to me. (laughs) (laughs) When that happens, you do not have a good feeling because you know that this is the precursor to them trying to reclaim the property. But again, what I would say is that Interbay handled it really well. And I had a video call with the new person, the recovery team, and I, and I just explained it to him. And, and I think what also helped was that I could show them all of the communications I'd had. I could show them that I'd escalated it to the highest levels. So, uh, and they could see that I wasn't stringing them along. And I know that it, it's it's one of those things where even sometimes I thought about it, that the best thing, that the, you just think, if I just don't communicate and just ignore them, it, it might go away and I'll just get this done. But of course, what would then happen is what, what would happen to Interbay is what, ha- what has happened to me is that I just get really frustrated and start to get annoyed. And then that makes me concerned about what's going on. So subsequent to some of these conversations now with the recovery team, they actually started offering me help and said, look, we can actually give you, we, we can put our solicitors on this. We, you know, we believe, you know, we, we trust what you're doing. I can see that you've done all the right things. Um, but we can take this over on your behalf and start to make things really uncomfortable for the managing agent. And because we've got the resource behind us to start, he said, because in summary, it looks like you've been strung along, which, to be honest, is the truth. You know, that's exactly what's happened. And I said, look, give me give me, give me one more run at this. I'm going to email the CEO again, see if we can't just get an idea, because I was told that we should have had some information by early April, still not here. Uh, let me have one more run at it. And I sent the email to the CEO, to the senior management team, and just said, look, what, what, what's happening? I've been told we should have information. We've still got no information. And a few days later, when I was in a meeting with, it, it was just coincidentally, I was in a meeting with the investor that's put a lot of funds into this property, literally got an email that popped up, said, really pleased to share with you that we have an EWS1 form and it's got an A1 pass which essentially means everything is absolutely fine (laughs) at which point even with the investor I put my head in my hands and literally relief was bursting out of me swiftly followed by the frustration of why didn't they just tell me what was going on yeah why didn't they just tell me a a year ago or even two months ago look it's happening it's in progress we'll have it However, we've now got the EWS1 form, which now in my simple brain means we have a, 
a normal flat in inverted commas. Indeed, it opens up sort of, as you say, normal options. So you have the option of selling it because somebody else could potentially get a mortgage on it. And of course, it means you have the option of getting a normal mortgage on it as well, rather than bridging finance. So so what's your path forward? What, What do you think you're doing? Yeah, so the what we're doing is looking at both options. So I, ideally, given the, the, the situation, we'd want to sell it. And I, I think just emotionally and mentally move on. However, I'm very fortunate that I have a good investor that is, is keen that, as we are, that not to sell it for undervalue. So the flat itself should be valued in the region of 340 to 350,000. We bought it for 230. And that seems like a, a good uplift because we, we only spent probably 15, let's say 15K on the, on the refurb. However, the costs of borrowing and the costs of holding have added significant costs to that. Yeah, we, we should dig into those a little in a moment. Yeah. So essentially, if, if we sold it for 350, we would make some money on it. If we sold it for 340, we'd probably have some loose change in our pockets. But anything under that, we are kind of just yeah, just about washing our face, I would say. And I, and the interesting thing is, because I, I imagine actually, if you're listening to this and you hear bought for 230, selling for 350, sounds amazing. But immediately, I'd say, you know, the, the buying costs, stamp duty, Service charge, service charge is over £4,000 a year. So that's not insignificant. Uh, so there's lots of fees. Yeah, I mean, but why, why don't we dig in to, perhaps we'll start at the, the, the basic financing. So what, what's the interest rate you've been paying on your bridge? Because actually, perhaps I'll take a step backwards. Bridges or bridging loans, generally speaking, have entrance or exit fees, which will be a percentage of the loan. And then they will have... Uh, a monthly interest rate because they're intended to be short term and that monthly interest rate maybe might be as low as half a percent when when interest rates were 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 much lower generally but more typically i think they'd be sort of around one percent and now more recently i suspect they're more than that but my my information's a bit out of date on on bridging loans so so where where's your rate fall in in that considering you you obviously took it on quite a while ago <laughs> Yeah, I think it started at around 0.7 is what I've got in my head. So it'd be somewhere around that range. But like you said, you, you have entry and exit fees. A- again, it's been a while now, but I would imagine the entry fees, having a look at what I've got, is around, if we say, £3,000. And the interesting thing is, you know, the entry. So, so typically what I've seen before in the past, an entry fee could be one or two percent and the exit fee could be exactly the same. So based on that, I think we've, you know, you've got about two thousand ish pounds entry fee, which which equates to what the numbers that I've got. But of course, you're paying for their solicitors. You then have personal guarantees because we're buying in a limited company. And then, you know, they want uh, debentures, which basically means, you know, they they have access to the whole of your business should anything happen and can get money from wherever you can't basically section off parts of your business so that they don't have access to some of your assets if things go wrong and of course you're paying their solicitors uh, to do that and you're also paying your solicitors because you need to have all of these legal documents read in front of you with solicitors to make sure you understand etc so essentially you know you're, you're talking about you know i would say best part of five thousand pounds to to take this 
loan to start to get into the loan. Yes, I mean, it, 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 it all adds up quite quickly. But thankfully, you're now looking at getting out of this loan. So how and what sort of options have you been investigating for, for new, more normal financing? Yeah, and this, this is the, I mean, the funny thing is, and, and the ironic thing is, you know, so we're now looking at a normal buy to let, a limited company buy to let. But of course, the interest rates have risen so much that they are much closer to what was the bridging fee, although, albeit without entry and exit fees. Having said that, well. of course, <laughs> they now all have fees. So the options that we were given, so I'll just outline those. We were given three options, were a 4.79%, 5.44% and 5.64%. All very simple at that stage. You go, okay low rate to high rate. However, they've now attached the fees that, again, we've spoken about on past episodes and we've spoken with Simon Glastonbury, our resident mortgage broker. The 4.79% product has a 5% fee. Now, when you first mentioned this to me, I I was just, well, speechless. (laughs) I mean, it's 5%. That's crazy. So on that loan, 5% fee is £6,375. So to get that borrowing, it's 6375. Now, of course, you add it to the loan, but of course, you're, you're then paying interest on that loan. The 5.44% had a 2% fee, which is slightly better, 2550 and 5.64% also had a 2% fee. The only other variable was the valuation fee. So on the first two products, there was a £450 valuation fee. So obviously for their value to go around and make sure that your target price is what they agree with. And then the most, the highest rate, the 5.64, there was a free valuation. I, I think just to, to add some, some extra, these are all five-year fixed products you're looking at? Yes, exactly. So they're all, all five-year fixed. Cool. Okay. So, so straight away, I sort of think four, 4.7%, well, that, that's appealing, but 5% fee that just seems crazy so immediately i'm sort of drawn away from that one but but i think you've actually put some put some numbers together in a spreadsheet and and worked out which one actually works out best over a a five-year course so how did that go well the interesting thing is if if you just take all of the fees together it's actually not you know that much of a disparity as as one might think which is that the the total five year cost of the four point seven nine is thirty seven and a half thousand, and the cost of the five point six four is thirty eight and a half thousand, give or take. So actually, over the term, there's a, a thousand pounds different if we just look at those fees. However, what I then did, because I'm really sad, is I then added thorough. Thorough is the word you're looking for. Sorry, thorough, because I'm very thorough. I added the fees into the loan amount and calculated the interest that would have been paid or would be paid with that fee. And essentially, from the lowest rate to the highest rate, there is about £200 difference, i.e. by going on their 4.79%, 5% fee, I would save around £200 versus the highest rate. It's almost like the mortgage companies have decided how much they want to make and then they're just sort of putting it in different packaging. <laughs> well, and we've spoken about this before. And, and 
Because for me, it makes no sense because you're complicating something. And, and I think there is an argument to say that financial institutions love complicating things because people like us then just go, oh, well, I don't know. Give me that one. And, and actually don't do the, the necessary work. So I think that's part of it. But the, the only thing we, that I can conclusion I can come to is that, that, that they want the fee up front because they can account for it. So actually, so ideally, you'd, you'd amortize, you know, for, for all of them, you have to amortize, obviously, the interest that we are paying to them is, is coming in on a monthly basis, whereas the, the fee, so this six grand, would go straight into their cash flow profit on day one when that's paid. And that's the only reason I can see that there is a benefit to this because otherwise you'd, you'd just say there's two products. One, there's a, you know, X percent plus this fee and a, an evaluation. And then there's product two, which is basically the same without a valuation fee and a, and a lower, sorry, a lower fee and, a, and no valuation cost. Yeah. My, my take on it is, is that they, that they perhaps actually don't, care because they make such similar amounts of money overall and things so so my, my theory that that has no no real backing to it is, is that they actually are just intending to make the same amount of money and they don't really care which product you you go with but they just know that out there in the market some people will have a focus on on their monthly expenditure and other people will will see the the percentage upfront fees and, and focus on that and they're they're just putting out different versions of basically the same product just to appeal to different audiences. Um, that, that, that's my, my theory. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it is a good point because the, yeah, the, the, the monthly cost would differ slightly. And if you are fully focused, which I was when I first came into property investing, I was just fully focused on that monthly amount and I wanted it to be the lowest, then I would just focus on that. So the other part of taking out a mortgage is considering how much you can borrow and obviously you have to factor in stress rates and things like that so how much of a a loan are you expecting to get are you are you getting 75 percent or more or less or where are you landing well again we haven't, haven't fully decided but i think we will be landing at a 75 percent uh, loan to value if if we don't think we're going to get the values that we want to sell so so you think you're you, so, you, I mean, that on Bytelet, on standard Bytelet, 75% is sort of a, a normal level. But sometimes recently, that's been hard to achieve because of stress rates and the higher interest rates and things. So you, you think you will actually be able to get 75%? Well, at the moment, it's looking okay. I, I mean, we're, we are fortunate in the sense that the because it's in central London or you know pr- pretty close to London, I mean, the, the train journey is... Yeah, five minutes to the centre of London. So, and there's trams, there's buses. So it's obviously in a, it's a, it's in a good location for that, and um, because it's London, you know, essentially the rents now pushing seventeen hundred pounds, and you know, based on the you know the monthly cost, I think we just about because, like I say, the you know the the, <laughs> the the interest rate now is what the stress test rate was. So, yeah, if we if we do go for the the mortgage then i think we're going to be just about there 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 might be a few tweaks you know once we get a bit further into but when i look at the current so if i if we go for the product that we want to go for it's around 1200 pounds so that that rate is higher than the stress test rate because it's 5.64 so the stress test was 5.5 so we've we've already hit that 
And then if I times that by 125%, we are still £200 less than what the current what the current rent is. The challenge that we have is that the property still won't really be making any money because, as I say, we've got... But what would happen is that we unlock some capital to repay the investor because right now we're paying a bridging loan fee, which is very high, and we're paying an investor a, a high interest rate too. But And so obviously if we can bring one of those loans down, then we're paying obviously less and a lower fee. But because of the service charge and everything else, we're probably still yeah, underwater. Whether, uh, whether a buy-to-let flat can actually uh, make any money, well, yes, that's a, a good topic. <laughs> <laughs> so one, one sort of final thing to, to mention on that, you, you mentioned 1700 for for rent for a two, three-bedroom flat sort of heading into London. And I've just rented a, a two-bedroom house in Red Hill for 1650 I would have thought you'd be getting more than that for, for a flat much further into London. Is that sort of below market rate now? Is your tenant in, been in there for a while? Or, um, or do you think that is actually what, what the market would expect? I think it's thereabouts. It could possibly be slightly lower. I mean, this tenant's probably been in there a year and a half, maybe two years. And as mentioned a few podcasts ago, we have put the rates up in the last... So each six-month term, we have actually put the rates up. I mean, probably a year and a half ago, it was fifteen hundred. So, you know, in the in the grand scheme, and again, given that they've been good tenants, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, we were keen not to not to push it too hard. And in fact, we we went slightly higher, negotiated, and have gone on seventeen hundred. But um, yeah, I, I don't think we're far off because I have looked at it recently. I think maybe. You could say it's seventeen fifty or eighteen hundred, but again, we've we've had people in there. They've been consistent. They're looking after the flat. So for that extra fifty quid, are we going to really annoy them? No, we're not. Yeah, no, not not at this juncture anyway. Yeah, sounds sounds very sensible. Well, I think I'll, I'll just say good luck with your your decision whether you you refinance and, and keep it or try and put it on the market and and get out of your your three year flip finally <laughs> and. Um, I'm sure we'll we'll talk about it again in, in a few weeks' time once you've made a decision and uh, and update everyone. But until then, I think we're we're done for this week. So everyone listening, please do reach out and, and let us know what you think. You can reach us on show at thebusinessofproperty.com or at B-I-Z of Property on Twitter. And we will look forward to talking to you again next week. <laughs> <laughs>